Hello, and welcome to a special installment of Behind the Fourth Wall, the podcast where we usually talk about movies, TV shows, and anything else pop culture. However, today we'll be winding back the clock just a little bit to early 2010s to revisit two movies that are mainly remembered for being the bit of a mess they ultimately became, and perhaps the biggest reason for the Marvel and Sony Studios collaboration we enjoy today. We, of course, are talking about the Amazing Spider-Man series starring Andrew Garfield. Let's, uh, yeah, I welcome in, you know, Andrew Garfield, Spider-Man. Did you like it? Did you love it? Did you hate it? I absolutely loved it. I couldn't get enough of Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. But then I did get enough at the end of the second one, so I called it a day from there. You know, we'll get into it, but I have a feeling that this series didn't fail because of Andrew Garfield. Yeah, no, there was a lot of behind-the-scenes drama with these two films uh which is kind of a shame to say right because like i i I think a third one would have been pretty good for this uh the second one suffered from iron man 2 syndrome i guess right like they were kind of like putting in too much what's wrong with iron man 2 well mm, you know (laughs) (laughs) let's not get into that just yet (laughs) (laughs) let's not shift gears uh but before we get into it just want to throw it out there that the, that we're looking back at these movies because we're prepping for the highly anticipated uh, No Way Home, third movie of Tom Holland's Spider-Man trilogy. And obviously there's been lots of rumors that both Toby and Andrew are in this. So we thought it'd be a fun opportunity to look back at some of the past Spider-Man that uh, movies that have launched us into the Marvel Universe and all of that. Um, so without further ado, let's get into it. I can't believe it's not 2010 anymore, <laughs> for starters. I can't believe that they snuck this in between, like, there was enough time between Toby's trilogy and then when, like, Marvel, like, the whole MCU started picking up, because the MCU with Iron Man started 2008. So this was, like, shouldn't this have been our Spider-Man? I So, yeah, I, you know, I... I, I I think I shared um, on the la- this last Spider-Man episode that we did that I was reading through the uh, story of the Marvel uh, of Marvel Studios books. Um, it made there's a little blurb in there that talks about Kevin Feige's desire to actually implement Andrew Garfield's version of Spider-Man into the MCU, and it was done so kind of like uh, I guess sneakily. So apparently, in Avengers One, which for reference dropped, I believe 2012. There's a there's a building in in the background that resembles the Oscorp Tower from Amazing Spider-Man. Get uh, out the, of here! I've never the one thing that. that they dropped from it was the Oscorp logo last minute because they couldn't get Sony's approval on it. Right. But I the never actual even noticed that. I didn't either, but it it, it kind of shows you that like this has been in the works for such a long time that you know like the the, the pieces were there. They just kind of it took a little while to get to this point. And that's kind of sad because this like 
yes, everybody loves Tom Holland as Spider-Man, but this would have been a world where we wouldn't even know what we're missing. But I think Andrew Garfield could have been good alongside a lot of these heavy hitters of the MCU. Yeah, I, f- I feel like Tom Holland's version of Spider-Man is very much like the student, right? Like Andrew mm-hmm. Garfield could have stand stood toe to toe with the likes of like Tony Stark. Yeah, like banter wise, he could have been right there with Tony Stark uh, and, and intelligence wise, too. Um, and then he obviously had uh, pretty good power. That he could have he could have kept up with everybody. It would have been a different dynamic than what we ended up getting, uh, for sure. But I think that the biggest issue that this this series of movies did is this is pretty much Sony's reaction to the success of the MCU, and we've kind of seen how Sony handles a lot of their projects in terms of like you know they're very focused on profit. So I think the biggest criticism for these films is always that it it always felt like an oversized commercial because it kind of is in the sense that, and I don't know if this is something, I don't think we've talked about this before, but there's a clause in Sony's um, ability to have the rights to Spider-Man for the big yep. screen. They need to make content or else they lose the rights. That's why they ended up going with this movie when Spider-Man, the plans for Spider-Man 4 with Tobey Maguire fizzled out. Oh, classic Sony, always trying to make a penny, <laughs> not lose their assets. I think everybody was kind of looking forward to this, though, after Andrew Garfield's performance in um, The Social Network. Yeah, this was a big time for him um, getting onto the big screen, uh, much like it was Toby continuing his into this. So similar to Toby that we talked about last week, it's kind of coming off a high and uh, being a big name on the marquee to sell the tickets. Plus, alongside him, you have Emma Stone playing Gwen Stacy. Where where were you in 2010? What were you up to when when these movies kind of surfaced up? You know, legally, I'm not allowed to talk about that, um, but I can talk in generalities. <laughs> Wait, was that when you did the? No, that was redacted. All right, all right, I got it, I got it. <laughs> you know what? Honestly, the these were the two movies of all the Spider-Man movies that I watched the least. I know I've seen them. I can't place when i first watched it i don't think i w- went to theaters for this i think this was one where i kind of held out until it was like on tv and i don't know if i was really missing anything like these were really good movies but they were also very long yeah you know what now that you kind of bring this up to my attention like i i feel like i remember uh i wasn't i was in college for sure I I made a couple friends in college who were like super like comic nerds, you know, like and, and all of us kind of like always got together and talked about movies. I remember one of my buddies, I think we were in, in like um, one of the film labs and they had just revealed the new suit for Andrew Garfield. So this is like Amazing Spider-Man 1 where he has the elongated spider on his front chest and like the very like basketball like texture to his costume. I remember that vividly, like... <laughs> But I don't remember like exactly how much hype anybody was in because I feel like everybody felt like almost like kind of let down, I guess, by Spider-Man 3 or something. Or maybe we were Spider-Man out at that point. But I don't remember there being a lot of fanfare for the for this franchise. I think that was it. I think it was the turnover was pretty fast from a trilogy that we didn't put too much time into, but we did get kind of invested into because it was the initial Spider-Man that everybody knew and also like kind of that the the movie that opened the door to the comic book genre so it's very quick turnaround 
uh, I think it was like two, three years after the third Tobey Maguire movie. So it was very much so to be like, I don't know if I'm into this. Plus, we have this is like when the MCU is starting to uh, be on the upswing for the genre. Like we had Iron Man come out, the the Captain America, Thor. Um, so there was a lot more to be distracted by. And this kind of got shuffled into the mix. Yeah, and I feel like there there's also the inconvenience of kind of like being the second one at, at at the mantle. This this reminded me, I guess, of like the switch from Michael Keaton to Val Kilmer for Batman. You know, like it was com- almost like unceremonious yeah. that they replaced him. Like you, you, there's not a lot of breathing room, I guess, and that's uh, that's again part of the issue with. Uh, Sony having the rights to this character and just kind of, you know, they know they can make money off of it. Like, you can slap Spider-Man's logo and name on anything and it'll make money. Uh, True. But that's that's kind of the problem with it, too, right? Because you know, too much of one thing can't be will You will wear out the fan base, for sure, if you uh, play that card too many times. Uh, Which is really impressive that Tom Holland was able to succeed, but I think because he wasn't lifting it up on his own, he was kind of brought in under Robert Downey Jr., which if you have his approval, it's kind of like running for president and you have, you know, like all these governors supporting you. That's kind of the biggest advantage of Tom Holland is like he feels like such a likable version of the character, but it's because he's kind of like an endearing presence in a very, very big and already familiar world. Whereas I think with Andrew Garfield, you're starting to retell the story that you've already seen. And you already have, like it hasn't been that many years since you've seen it for the first time. Uh, so I yeah, guess that's and, one of the issues. And we've talked about this on other podcasts too, where uh, similar to Batman, you know, Spider-Man has a very well-known and well-documented intro into becoming a hero losing uncle ben in the same way that batman lost his parents after like the third or like the second or third uh person playing this role you don't really need to keep showing that you like we we talked about you can allude to it and you can maybe have conversations about it in the like afterwards but you don't really need to keep showing us that scene and i think that was one part that uh it didn't work in this one even though it was emotionally charged and well shot it might have even been better than toby's but it was just like a repeat and i don't know you're wasting time at that point i agree i i do think though that you know i think you kind of said this but martin sheen i think was a better uncle ben uh than the actor that we got in the first uh series of movies and i i think that scene for me is my favorite uh version of the uncle ben <laughs> death scene However, yeah, you're right. I think on the emotional level, you're not even like, you know, it, it, obviously it's not a surprise because you know it. it. And it was such a, so iconic before that anybody who's anybody knows that, you know, Uncle, Uncle Ben dies so that Spider-Man could become who he is. But the emotions in that scene, I thought, were played a lot better. I think the the scene worked a lot better. It's just that because they saved it for so, I, I think it's like almost in the middle of the movie, right, That that the scene takes place in. There's yeah, a- because because they do use some of the time at the beginning of the movie to go over Peter's parents and why they're not in the picture. Uh, so it was a lot of emotion there because you have to watch the parents disappear. Then you have to watch Uncle Ben get shot down. Like it was a lot uh, for an intro movie. And Cliff Robertson was the Uncle Ben in Tobey Maguire's. There you go. 
but I, and, I yeah let's get into the cast a little bit because um this is this is definitely what drove these movies to to make them as good as they got i'll say it's true yeah i think the chemistry between the cast worked really well uh, yeah and, and why don't we start with uh what we were just talking about uncle ben and aunt may because i kind of feel like these are my favorite couple of them i mean we didn't we obviously didn't get an uncle ben in tom holland's version and marissa tomei is great but i don't know martin sheen and sally fields kind of felt like a good combination together and had that uh you know that parental role really like locked down really well played they definitely did feel like parents more so than uh, you know rosemary harris uh and you know the uh, cliff robertson right uh who, who played uncle ben in the first set of movies for sure and i think that you know obviously they went out of their way to find like kind of recognizable names for these two right because martin sheen and sally feels like they have a pretty long list of uh credits to their name rosemary harris does as well uh but i know that you know it, it's not quite as i guess uh not mainstream but like i guess front of mind i guess for the, for the for the audience like you're more likely to recognize martin sheen and sally fields from something than you would rosemary harris and this is definitely like an ageism comment to make so i'll preface that with it but like there i want like a level of um mobility with aunt may because her storyline is often overlooked because we're so focused on spider-man in these series but she's the one who has to like live alone like spider-man goes off and like saves the world he has multiple romantic interests uh it's it's her it's aunt may who has to like live with be becoming a widow and uh i feel like sally fields had like the right age demographic for it to be like well she has some work that she can like distract herself with but other than that then it's just like going home i don't know does that make any sense it makes sense because especially when you think about it you know like the the there's obviously that iconic look of like elderly aunt may and you know that that's who she is in the comics right but when you really think about it it doesn't make a lot of practical sense (laughs) you know like for Peter's aunt to be that significantly older than than his mom, um, right? It, it yeah, it just, just such a big age disparity. I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm sure you know there's some circumstances where it is. It just feels like it, it, there's some a le- level of having more effectiveness between the two characters in terms of their chemistry when you know the age gap seems almost natural. Because you're right, Sally Fields comes across as a mother. Um, and then Rosemary Harris, obviously, again, risking sounding a little ageist here, but like is definitely giving you that grandmotherly vibe. Yeah, not that she's like supposed to be alone at that age, but it's more common. So it's also like, I don't know, she it's not a struggle as much of a struggle for her to kind of like transition to that part of her lifestyle. Whereas with Sally Fields and Andrew Garfield, they can kind of, you know, comfort each other as they're kind of going through like we still have a lot of life to live here and we're missing that that father figure and that that husband figure well we even talked about in in the um for the toby episode we we talked about how you know what part of the reason why i really like the toby movies is because we address like 
you know, Spider-Man has overdue bills. He, you know, he struggles to pay the rent, that kind of thing. Here, as you mentioned, you know, we get to see Aunt May's struggles with it, which we got to see a little piece of it in Spider-Man 2 for Toby's series. But over here, you know, she's secretly um, going to nursing school so she could become a nurse and, and help pay for Peter's college. Like that's some that's a little bit of a C storyline uh, that comes out that a lot of people kind of brush over. Uh, but there, there is that um, aspect of it that I feel like this series of movies went a little bit out of their way to try and show you. Yeah, and I just think that adds to the overall plot in a way that kind of gets missed out with different casting choices. Uh, and, and probably why I like these two together so much as well. Uh, but that would lead us then to the star of the movie, Andrew Garfield, since he's uh, being raised by the two of them. We, we've kind of shared our thoughts on this before, but what do, what's your take on him as a Spider-Man um, maybe versus Toby since at that time it was only those two? I think he he strikes me as a good new-age Peter Parker, you know, like a more modern retelling of that classic story, which is exactly what they're we're kind of aiming for. So I think it, it served it well. Do you mean like as, modern to like our times or modern to like the comics? modern to like in comparison to the comics because when you think about back uh, for the comics you're talking nerdy glasses sweater vest wearing you know teenage peter parker you know he is the kid that you would think stereotypically gets picked on if you're looking at a classic like 80s movie right but i don't think andrew garfield gets picked on this guy's a cool hipster right so (laughs) I, i think in terms of modern times instead of making him that nerdy kid he is a bit of a nerd to some degree yes but he's also he has this like swagger to him um but th- they focus more on him being a loner than than you know nerdy and i think it works well for his version of spider-man because in the suit i think he might be he might be toe-to-toe with tom holland in terms of like you know playing spider-man the role really well uh but as Peter Parker's where it kind of stumbles a little bit for me because they still give him the classic, you know, nerd getting picked on by the likes of like Flash Thompson, which I'm not buying in that movie. <laughs> yeah, the the fights with Flash were kind of comical. Uh, the basketball scene didn't make any sense. He like pulled a full Teen Wolf uh, maneuver. So there, him as Peter Parker doesn't make sense, but him as uh, Spider-Man, I agree. What goes toe-to-toe with Tom Holland definitely was better than uh, Toby we talked about in the last episode I think the thing that makes Spider-Man Spider-Man is that he has to have these like teenage quips and banter during a fight like he's not like emotionally mature enough to like take it seriously he he's the comical jokester it's always his his like weapon of choice is like humor. He it's not enough for him to like beat up on these bad guys. He also has to humiliate them in some way, <laughs> or like embarrass himself too. Because like most of the time, like seventy percent of his jokes are like the corniest kind of dad level jokes, right? And that's the point to distract his his foes. Yeah, so that's what Andrew Garfield definitely brought to the table, and uh, he he brought it pretty well. One of the things that we had discussed too with Toby is like the iconic villains that you get with 
Spider-Man, right? Like there's so there's only a handful of superheroes in modern like comics and myths and all that that you can point at and be like, oh yeah, Batman has the Joker. You know, Batman has uh not Batman, Spider-Man has uh Green Goblin, Doc Ock, all that. Uh we had a pretty good list of um of cast members in in the last series of movies that played some of the more iconic uh, characters like Green Goblin, Doc Ock, Sandman. And they kind of shook things up a little bit for this uh, for this franchise, but I was a little disappointed to see Green Goblin again, to be honest. Yeah, and such a different take on Green Goblin, too, um, that it, you couldn't help but compare it to the first and kind of favor the first. Yeah, he felt like CW, <laughs> Green <laughs> Goblin. Um, of course, we're talking about Dane DeHaan playing Harry Osborn, because in this universe, I guess Norman either, I, I still think that they probably would have made him Green Goblin in the future, but um, he doesn't end up playing that role. He actually ends up getting uh, killed, I guess, in the second film. Um, because he like dies from that hereditary disease, which drives Harry to try and get Spider-Man's blood to save himself. Um, which turns him into the green goblin somehow uh but yeah no i i agree i think the choices of villains for this movie it was nice that they weren't all of repeat sure you do have the green goblin repeat i don't know how you can really tell this story without doing that it's almost like the the death scene of uncle ben it's it kind of feels like it has to be done because it's his best friend and that creates a whole other line of uh, should I try and help him? Do I tell him? He thinks I'm his enemy for some reason. Like, uh, so I understand that repeat. But the rest of the villains are new, and they're not too much of a deep cut into the comic books to like alienate the non-readers of the fans. Uh, so everyone kind of felt welcomed and and brought along. Some of them are a little bit goofy and and don't make a ton of sense in these movies. But then. They got great actors for every single role here that it really carries the carries the, the film and the plot forward. It does. And I was surprised to see that they, especially for the first movie, they went to a character that I didn't think they were going to touch, to be honest with you, for a while, which is, um, I think, Reese uh, Ifans played um, Dr. Kirk Connors. And we finally get a live action version of the lizard, which I didn't think looked all that bad. I know there was some criticism. It looked good. To, yeah, like people wanted him to have the the snout and all that, and I'm like, oh well, you know, if we're being realistic here, <laughs> we got to have some sort of like. If we're you know, being realistic in a Spider-Man movie, <laughs> right? <laughs> a giant lizard with a lab coat. <laughs> uh, no, I thought he looked good for for the quality of CGI. Uh, it's an interesting pick because like I didn't really know about him beforehand, not being a reader. But I thought the fight scenes were pretty good. His his motivations were a little odd, but but I think and you know we, we can kind of like circle back to this a little bit later. But like one of my biggest gripes with this series of films is more so the really weird obsession with Peter's parents' story that just kind of gets dropped out of nowhere. Um, and I feel like elements of that are, are in almost every character that that's in this movie. And I don't know, it just feels like like they try to go for something, but then pivoted several times. And so we never really get a full payoff of 
almost anything really having to do with that story. Yeah, that was a weird storyline to introduce and then disappear from and come back to. It almost kind of reminds me of um, kind of like an Ant-Man where the uh, I forget the mother's name. She like disappears and they use that to drive part of the plot and then they kind of don't revisit that as strongly as they as they should have. Uh, so I wonder if there was any like inspiration there. Well, they did end up using that element for Ant-Man 2, right? Like they Right. That, we had a payoff at least. <laughs> Whereas here um it just it doesn't go anywhere. Like you have and and always, obviously there's like there's been stories like Mark Webb has been um the director of the movies has been interviewed about where they were going with it. Um I believe the actor who played Peter's dad has also been on record as saying that he, you know, they had a whole story developed for him and a, a B plot basically. Uh, but and you even have deleted scenes where Peter meets his father at Gwen's um, grave. But it feels like everybody was trying to stuff as much as they can into this, and it became a little bit of a mess. That's true. We were just talking before the pod that it's a shame that Shailene Woodley was cut. <laughs> From yeah, this film. you you mentioned that, and I didn't even know that she was ever like in consideration or casted. But she full on was casted and had scenes as Mary Jane, but was totally cut out. Yeah, which I, I guess was kind of for for the better, to be honest, because you know one cast man I do want to talk about a lot is uh, Emma Stone as Gwen mm-hmm. Stacy. Oh my god, <laughs> you know, like no no um no knock on on Zendaya and Tom because I feel like they also have you know chemistry uh, with each other on set, but. I feel like the Andrew and Emma Stone chemistry felt almost natural, like to the point that you were you're rooting for them constantly. They had a pretty good connection, and I guess that was kind of like a real world thing because apparently they were dating around that time. But uh, well, they started dating because of filming together. So it's funny that like the Spider-Man movies have brought couples together. I think Toby and Kirsten dated for a little bit, probably just as like a publicity thing. But Tom and Zendaya are also dating now, which is like. Can two people just play this role without actually falling in love? <laughs> no, they can't. <laughs> it's a requirement. Uh, but no, I, they had the best screen chemistry. But then also, like, w- when Emma is in her own scenes, she she owns it. And she she is such a good Gwen Stacy. Uh, so much better than Dallas Bryce Howard. <laughs> <laughs> who who was a, appeared for all of, like, two minutes in uh, Toby's trilogy she's a great director though true mandalorian yeah yeah (laughs) no but yeah you're you're right i i think that this is the best version of gwen stacy we may ever get and you know and i'm just like kind of speculating there obviously but what about the multiverse oh you know they could always always bring her back they could always bring her back like in the comics there's a spider girl version of uh gwen stacy so yeah, isn't that in the Spideyverse, the uh, cartoon movie? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. What do they so, call her? Do they call her? I know she was. She introduced herself as Gwen. I don't know if they had a a name for it. I thought I thought she had a different code name. I don't know. I might be wrong, but yeah, I 
she's one castmate though that I kind of I would have wished they would have gone a little bit different than in the comics instead of recreating that iconic scene but it was also kind of tragic to see and which iconic scene are you talking about the head snapping (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a tough one to watch to hear the egg crack it's it's almost kind of odd how between the Toby uh, series and this series, they re- they smash them together and you recreate one very iconic scene from the comics, which is the, de- the death of Gwen Stacy. In the comics, he takes Gwen Stacy off of the uh, to the roof, uh, uh, no, to the top of the uh, Brooklyn Bridge, I think, tosses her, and then Spider Man tries to catch her, you know, webs up her her foot, but inadvertently ends up snapping her neck because she like, you know, ricochets or whatever you call it. Jeez. Yeah. And then he proceeds to beat um, the living heck out of the Green Goblin um, <laughs> before the Green Goblin tries to get him off of him and then inadvertently also stabs himself with his own glider. Uh, <laughs> so pretty brutal stuff. Wow. So, But but it, it's funny how we have elements of that from the first uh, Toby movie and then like you kind of don't get the second half of that story until here in the Amazing Spider-Man franchise. Yeah, that is a interesting uh, half take or half presentation of the the storyline. <laughs> All right, but Jamie Fox as Electro and Paul Giamatti as Rhino kind of complete the the uh, triad of villains here, right? Yeah, I mean Rhino was weirdly placed into this movie. Uh, I have to say, but Electro was. Uh, he was amazing. Jamie Foxx was so good in that role. Yeah, it's almost a shame that they kind of didn't do more with his character because they kind of, I guess they like um, dismissed him as kind of crazy and that's how he kind of played the role. But I feel like there was a lot more they could have done with him. Uh, any specifics of what you would have want to see? There, there's, there's part of me that wanted to see him play out his comic book role where he's very much like this um, tactful um, thief, basically. Whereas in The Amazing Spider-Man, he's a guy that everybody kind of ignores. He's, I guess, kind of a loser, right? Which, again, it's Jamie Foxx. How could Jamie Foxx be a loser? <laughs> right. Well, put a wig on him and some bulky glasses. And, and have him protector. stutter. Yeah, that was, a, that was an interesting choice of, of a character uh, representation there. And then also that they had him kind of just, like, downgraded to, like, a bodyguard for... Harry Osborn. Yeah, that it was an odd choice because I feel like the first half of Amazing Spider-Man and anything with Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield in it was great, but the rest of that movie just kind of felt like a little bit of a letdown, especially when I thought the first movie did a pretty decent job at setting up the the new world, right? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Um, but I really enjoyed like the techie elements of the second one, where like he he beats electro then he loses to electro and then he has to figure out like okay how do i adjust my suit how do i adjust my fighting style to to win here and i enjoyed the those scenes it was like a good montage of uh like a rocky prepping for a fight yeah and we also got to see like the limitations of his ability sometimes too because like we have web shooters right in in play here versus Mm -hmm. like the organic webbing of toby where it's almost like you know, you kind of roll your eyes when he starts having those like, um, was it like to anxiety or stress that he couldn't produce uh, more web fluid? 
but yeah, the 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 other thing within these fights too, uh, you talking about the web shooters made me think about how great those like slow motion scenes are where you can see every like the entire fight developing it was like the fan gets to have spidey sense as well and he does all these like little tricks of like how to spread the webs so that they go out in like several directions as opposed to one and you actually get to see that and it doesn't happen too fast yeah and we had a few of those right because like not just like slow-mo shots but like for example in amazing spider-man one i think that has my favorite stan lee cameo in the spider-man movie of all time it's the one where he plays a librarian while the lizard and spider-man are going Mm -hmm. at it in the background yeah that was a fantastically shot scene like to be fighting up in the in in a high school like all that was just coordinated really well yeah i i would definitely give this movie top or, or this these two movies top marks against the other ones for for fight scenes they definitely implemented a lot more like uh, solid choreography on it. And I think they went out of their way to to show visually also like how much tech has evolved up to this point uh, for sure. Yeah. And then I like too that Gwen had to be the one who comes in and like helps him figure out because that it gives her a reason to be like as smart as she was in the movie. It's like you can't just have that character trait and then ignore it. Uh, so that was great to to see that there yeah they broke the damsel in distress kind of uh trope that usually kind of belongs to mary jane as well right like they gave gwen enough of a personality to like spin her off into her own character instead of feeling like you know mary jane 2.0 no knock on kirsten Dunst. i'm just saying (laughs) well it was like three movies of that where she would always be the bait of the villain and couldn't escape that that role and i don't know it would have been like it wouldn't have been organic for them to change it by the third one so then they kept steering into it mary jane and peter parker are like destined to be with one another though like she has aspirations of being an actress or she's likely going to go broke he has aspirations to just be a photographer and freelancer so he's probably always going to be broke so It's like they go hand in hand, you know, whereas Gwen Stacy, she's like destined to get scholarships and go to like top of her class and all this stuff. So she's likely (laughs) on the boat to success there. (laughs) Yeah, which is an interesting it was portrayed interestingly in the movies where they're like an on and off again relationship. And it's driven also by the thought like her father finding out that Peter Parker was Spider-Man and basically forbidding Peter from seeing her again and Peter has to like struggle with that like do I honor that do I just go on doing whatever I want to do and then she's like well I have a choice too here so like <laughs> uh if I want to be with you I will and then it ends up that he her father was right the whole time and then he kills her <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that that was a really tragic scene for sure and I think but oddly enough one of the highlights of the two films for me because it, it just shows just how how well that chemistry between the cast worked and you know this this might be like the the most well composed of the main cast from all these uh series again no knock on zendaya or kirsten dunst um i feel like they they have chemistry with their respective leads pretty good too but andrew and emma just kind of seemed like they were you know neck and neck like standing on equal footing yeah 
Yeah, and I also like that they didn't end it with her dying. They actually, you know, steered into the Spider-Man characteristic of, like, self-doubt and and having to get back up after losing a fight. And they went on for, like, another 20 minutes. Obviously made the movie a little little bit long, but it was like, do I, I, like, I'm directly responsible for her death. Do I give up the mantle and, like, I don't want to go on type of thing. And then he, he has to like rally at the end of the movie. There's one criticism of that though, that I feel like, um, I don't know if you've seen this, but there's a deleted scene with the kid that he ends up kind of like saving at the end mm-hmm. of Sp- amazing Spider-Man two. Uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to check out that scene, like what I'm talking no. about, but so the scene is that little, same little kid earlier in the movie is walking home from school and this like group of bullies start chasing him and like beating on him and all that. And then Spider-Man swings to his rescue. Like obviously doesn't attack the kids or anything, but like intimidates them into running away. Then he picks up the kid and walks him home, which for one, I thought was a very good moment to just kind of highlight how much of that like friendly neighborhood um, Mm Spider-Man title he really has. Um, and it would have really given you more of a like nice little bookend for that last scene when the kid goes up against the rhino and it's supposed to be like, you know. Wait, this, that was like, a deleted scene? I yeah. have seen that. I thought that was in it. No, that's a deleted scene. Oh. Yeah. Well, that definitely what, belongs in the movie. <laughs> it does. It really does. That, that's why I was like, you know, astonished at some of the editing choices for this. Because I'm like, some of the stuff that you should have cut out, you kept in. Uh, but yeah, like I, to me, that last moment where he finally comes in and confronts the rhino was pretty. Some people said it was really cheesy, and sure, I think you know, to some degree, I agree. But it illustrates just how much, or like, why he is who he is, right? Like, it's the guy that no matter how much, um, I guess misery he takes, sometimes he's always going to get back up and you know have at it again. Yeah, I think it was only cheesy of a fight because Paul Giamatti was, like, going crazy in that scene. <laughs> <laughs> I want to bring him back and give him his Disney Plus show. But the symbolism of that fight was iconic Spider-Man, and it was really well handled and, and well designed. Like they did leave a nice little, like, kind of cultural impact and highlighted some moments from the character that we otherwise probably wouldn't have gotten, so... Yeah, but it's also, it, it almost feels like it just gets this disservice of just being a bridge between Toby and Tom Holland because kind of like we were talking about in the last episode of the series, Toby was the introduction and then Andrew's kind of the like perfecting what Spider-Man should be and how to introduce villains and how to fight them. And then Tom Holland brings it all together. So it's like, you look at the first and you look at who's doing it best and you kind of skip over the person who only got two movies instead of three. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like they gave him the Val Kilmer treatment, you know, when, when in reality, like he had the potential of being the Christian Bale, you know? Yeah, I I think so. For anybody not getting that, I'm talking about (laughs) actors who played Batman. Cause I, I, I do feel like, you know, Andrew had a lot of potential and I still feel like they they could do stuff with this uh, world that they built up here. They can revisit it and maybe even, you know, in a fair world, I'd love them to give him a third movie just to kind of see where his character ends up. Uh, But again, 
going back to the beginning of this entire point of you know just focusing on spider-man uh for these couple episodes but if it's true that we are going to see andrew garfield again in the mcu this time i i do hope that they give him some proper closure for his time as a character yeah i hope that for for all these guys uh toby as well i i'm very interested a to see if he's in it but b to see how they would use him and i have these desires of how i'd want to see him but i'm almost scared to like speak him speak about him because i don't want to build up that he will be in there and then be let down (laughs) yeah no true there's just a lot of speculation and rumor right now but yeah you know one of the things you know and and this is something that um you know i i kind of knew but not i wasn't like fully fully aware of everything was actually shot in new york but this was the franchise that did get shot exclusively uh, in New York City. I don't know about the first one. The second one was entirely in New York. To, to actually have Spider-Man be shot in New York, because he's a New York character. You know? It just feels like, right. Yeah, it does. It, it, it feels like he belongs back home. And for anybody who's lived or has you know, traveled in and around New York, you know exactly which of the iconic spots show up on screen for real and which ones are probably Atlanta. <laughs> which is right. where most of these movies have been shot. Yeah, and I think the other thing too that um what we were talking about like if he got a chance to get a third movie the way that they were kind of building up this story, yes, they could have done more with the parents maybe in the third or something like that. But they were really setting up the sinister 6 here pretty strong. They were we had a whole tracking shot with the uh the mysterious figure character Mm-hmm. Um, walking through, and we we got to see like a whole bunch of different like weapons, right? We had the rhino suit, Doctor Octopus's tentacles. Um, I'm a, I, I think the scorpion's armor was in there as well. I I don't recall if I'm maybe I'm like not remembering that all that right, but I, I could have sworn that that was one of the um, included weapons in there. Yeah, uh, this is one thing I would have liked to to see, and I. I'm a little nervous if they're just going to like take a shortcut to it in No Way Home where they just go like, oh, we didn't have time to introduce these characters in this universe, so we're just going to pull them in from somewhere else. And then there's your six. It's like, I want to see a team formed to fight Spider-Man. I don't want to see it like, you know, pasted together. Yeah, I mean, that's something where I feel like you need to build up, you know, which is what I thought we were building up to with uh, Vulture and then the vulture scorpion end credit sequence from mm-hmm. homecoming uh so i don't know i i have a feeling though i think we're not going to get sinister six uh in no way home I, I think it's a red herring you think the doc ock and goblin aren't coming through no i think we're getting them but i don't think we're actually going to get like a oh like a united on the, under 16. one banner right like I, I think we're going to get these classic villains and i think um you know we'll get a taste of what the Sinister Six might look like, but I don't think this is the formation of the Sinister Six. No, I, I agree with that too. I don't I don't think I think with a movie that's introducing so many plot lines, it's very difficult to add that to the list. And I I think um, you know, Sony was doing maybe too much work in Amazing Spider Man two to kind of form up and, and build us up to that. They they because the plans at that point were to make an actual Sinister Six movie, like a spinoff film. They, they were really, really going for the MCU money there. And I would have paid for that. 
if done right, I would have definitely. I mean, like they're doing that now. Like look at Venom, Venom Two, Morbius. They have um, they they cast Aaron Taylor Johnson to play Craven the Hunter. So, you know, I don't really know. It looks like they're trying to build up to that again, but you know, that's a giant question mark for me, to be honest. Agreed. So, um, any other you know cultural impacts or thoughts that you you had from the Garfield series? Um, no, we already talked about Shailene Woodley showing up as Mary Jane and then all her scenes being cut. So that was something of a, a little bit of a deep cut for me. I actually didn't know about that until about two years ago when I was reading this uh, article from, I think, Entertainment Weekly. But it would have been interesting to add Mary Jane on there. But in, in a way, I'm kind of glad that they didn't. Would have been crowded. Way too crowded. Like Spider-Man 3 level. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's a good place to end it. Uh, you know, these these are really good movies to look back on, uh, both the Toby series and the Garfield series, and uh, get us excited for, for No Way Home. So next in our series, we're going to be looking at Tom Holland's. Uh, so far, two movies. Obviously, he'll be getting the rest of his trilogy in December. But for now, why don't we leave it here, and then we'll we'll pick it back up with Tom Holland next week. As always, if you feel like we missed something or you want something covered in a future episode, feel free to hit us up on Twitter at BTFourthWall, 4 being 4th. Otherwise, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. And send us pictures of Spider-Man. 